Please turn with me now to the Word of God in John 19. We're going to begin reading at John 19, verse 17, and we'll read through verse 37. Sermon text this evening is found in verse 36 of John 19, beginning with verse 17. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him. And two other with him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved. He saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath was on high day, 
besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. One of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water, and he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. And again another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Verse 36 refers back to verse 33. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. And then referring to that, in verse 36 we read, these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. It's obvious, my dear fellow believers, it's obvious from John's account of Jesus' suffering, final suffering and death, that John wasn't there most of the time. Not long after Jesus was first crucified, Jesus committed his mother Mary to John's care and keeping. And the Word of God tells us that John, from that hour, verse 27, took her to his own home and apparently did not return until almost six hours later when Jesus was at the point of dying for our sin. John takes up the story again in verse 28, but he wasn't there to witness the conversion of the penitent thief. He wasn't there for the three hours of darkness, but came at the very end of those awful six hours of our Savior's suffering, perhaps the darkness prevented him from returning as quickly as he might have wished. But he did come back in time to witness and tell us about Jesus' death and what happened after Jesus died. And John, who comes across in his gospel account as a very observant person, 
noticed some things that apparently none of the others noticed. Not only noticed them, but saw spiritual significance in some of those things. John was the only one who noticed or realized that there was spiritual importance to the fact that Jesus' legs were not broken and that instead of having his legs broken, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, at which point blood and water mingled, flowed out. And John not only noticed those things and saw that there was significance in them, but saw them as the fulfillment of prophecy. These things were done, he, sa he says, that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. That second reference is to Zechariah, Zechariah 12, verse 10. It's that first incident that is the sermon text this evening. A bone of him shall not be broken. In seeing those things, in noticing that there was spiritual significance to that and to other details of Jesus' crucifixion, in tracing those things back to Old Testament prophecies, John saw too that there was in those details gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He that saw it bear record and his record is true and he knoweth that he saith true that ye might believe. And it's with that in mind that I call your attention this evening to no bone broken. And we're going to look in that connection at the history or the story very briefly of what happened here. Then at the prophecies that were fulfilled and finally at the fact that that seeming insignificant detail of Jesus' suffering and death was the gospel. The history, the prophecy, and the gospel. That's tonight's sermon. The Jews had requested the 
it's Friday, of course, and their Sabbath was close to beginning. It began for the Jews not at midnight, but at sundown, about 6 or 7 o'clock in the evening. And when Jesus died, it was already about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And the Jews did not want the bodies of Jesus and the two criminals who were crucified him with him to be on their crosses over the Sabbath day. So they went to Pilate and asked that the bodies be taken down and that to make sure that those who had been crucified were dead or would die soon that their legs might be broken. And Pilate gave instructions to his soldiers to do as the Jews requested. That was a very common Roman practice. For one reason or another, the Romans would often hasten the deaths of those who were crucified by that practice of breaking their legs. It's called, if you want, a big word that you can look up. It's called crurifragium. Crurifragium. Practice of breaking the legs of those who were crucified. To understand, I don't want to go into a lot of detail, but to understand why the Romans did that, you have to understand that when a person was crucified, they didn't die as a result of the wounds in their hands and feet. Those wounds, after a person was crucified, would stop bleeding fairly quickly. But a person would die of shock, partly of thirst, dehydration, but also of suffocation. Hanging there on the cross, a person was in a position where it was very, very difficult to breathe. And in order to breathe, a person, you can, it makes you shiver to think of it. A person would have to push himself up by his nailed feet. And so, when the soldiers broke that person's legs, he was no longer able to do that, to push himself up by his nailed feet in order to breathe and would soon be dead as a result. Otherwise, a person's death by crucifixion could take several days. But this hastened that person's death. And the two criminals who were crucified with Jesus had that done to them. Part of the whole 
cruel Roman business of crucifying someone, although the Romans were not the first to practice it. But when the soldiers came to Jesus and they found that he was dead already and that there was no need to break his legs in order to hasten his death. The thieves would have been taken down from their crosses and dead or dying would have been thrown out in the garbage dumps in the valley of Gehenna outside of the city of Jerusalem. But Jesus did not have his legs broken. And as the Bible tells us, that was necessary in the will and good providence of God because prophecy had to be fulfilled. There were other occasions when the soldiers, others who were involved in the crucifixion of Jesus, were without their knowledge fulfilling prophecy. The soldiers, when they cast lots for Jesus' coat, were fulfilling prophecy. This also fulfilled prophecy. We'll talk about that prophecy in just a moment. But you have to understand, before we get to that, you have to understand that there was another reason Part that's part of the gospel of our Savior's death on the cross. Another reason why he could not die as those thieves did soon after their legs were broken by the Roman soldiers. That was usually done with wooden mallets or with an iron club and the legs would be broken at the knee or just below. But Jesus couldn't die that way. And he couldn't die that way. That's not the theme of this evening's sermon. But he couldn't die that way because his death had to be an act of his own. He could not have his life taken from him by the cruelty of those Roman soldiers, but had to give his life as an offering, part of that offering that he made for our sins. He talks about that in John 10. Something else that John remembered and no one else did. John 10, he says, this is verses 17 and 18. Therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life 
that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me. But I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. He had that power because he was the son of God. If I laid down my life, it would be sin, the sin of suicide. But as the son of God, the one who gives life and to whom all life belongs, he had power to lay down his life and power too, as he says there, to take it again. This commandment, he adds, have I received of my father. So he could not die as those thieves did. First of all, because he had to fulfill prophecy, and that's what we're focusing on this evening, but also because his life had to be a willing, active sacrifice for your sins and for mine. That brings us to the prophecy. Which prophecy? There's really two. The first is in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 12, verse 46. The Lord here is some of the Lord's instructions for the Passover are being repeated because the Israelites didn't only celebrate the Passover in Egypt, but they would go on to celebrate it every year. And in Exodus 12, verse 46, with reference to the Passover lamb, you read, In one house shall it be eaten, Thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall ye break a bone thereof. That verse identifies Christ. No bone broken as the Passover lamb. It's ironic, you know. The Jews who were there at the site of the crucifixion had just eaten the Passover lamb and sprinkled its blood on their doorposts, but in their unbelief were unable to see that they had the fulfillment of all of those hundreds of thousands of lambs who had been slain over the years, that they had the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in their hands. And that's one of the things that Scripture wants us to see and traces back to what we were talking about a moment ago, about Christ's sacrifice being a willing sacrifice because unlike those Passover lambs, he was not only the lamb, but the high priest 
slaughtering the Passover lamb, offering himself and his life as a sacrifice for sin. But Exodus doesn't answer the question, and that's the question that really needs to be answered this evening. Exodus doesn't tell us why. Why the Passover lamb had to be killed and eaten so carefully. And some of you may know how fragile a lamb is. Had to be killed and eaten so carefully that not a bone was broken. Why was that? You have any idea? I'm sure you've read that in John. You've read it many, many times. Have you ever asked yourself the question? Why no bone of him could be broken? Why he had to be just like the lamb of the Passover in that respect? Do you know why? Well, the other prophecy helps us to understand. Psalm 34. Turn to that. It's several of the last verses of Psalm 34. Psalm 34, verses 19 and 20. This is the other prophecy fulfilled in Christ's death with no bone broken. Those verses from Psalm 34 read, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones. Not one of them is broken. And you should remember when you read that, that that's first of all a reference to Jesus. He's the righteous. Of verse 19. And the afflictions referred to are not my afflictions, first of all, but his, including all the agonies of being crucified and of suffering under the wrath of God against sin. The promise is, that's a promise for him, promise of verse 19 is, the Lord delivereth him out of them all. And the proof of his deliverance is, he keepeth all his bones. Not one of them is broken. You understand what Psalm 34 is saying? 
perhaps some of you are saying, I, I still don't quite, quite get it. Well, you have to understand when you read those verses from Psalm 34 that the breaking, not just of an arm or a leg, that's not the point, but the breaking of all of a person's bones is in the Bible a sign of judgment, judgment that destroys and leaves nothing. Perhaps I can emphasize that by having you look with me at a couple of other verses. Isaiah 38 is one of them. Isaiah 38, verse 13. Sometimes, in fact, in the Bible, just that reference to having all your bones broken, even though it didn't happen, it actually happened. There's a reference to the fact that your life and all that you are is going to be completely consumed and destroyed. You have something like that in Isaiah 38, verse 13. It says, Hezekiah, when he was ill and dying and thought he was going to die without a son, and therefore, not only without a son, but without a Christ, Imagine that. If you understand that, you can understand his distress as he expresses it in verse 13. I reckon till morning that as a lion, so will he break all my bones. From day even to night, wilt thou make an end of me. Without a Christ, he would die and be consumed and destroyed completely and forever. And you put that side by side with those verses from Psalm 34, and you begin to get an idea of why no bone of Christ might be broken. To give you just one other passage from another of the prophets, Call your attention to the prophecy of Micah. You can't probably find that quickly enough to read it with me. But in Micah 3, verse 3, God talking about the judgments that he sent through the nations on Israel and Judah speaks of them in this way, those enemies will also eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and they break their bones and chop them in pieces as for the pot and as flesh 
within the cauldron, left nothing, consumed God's people, destroyed them completely, except, of course, that God always preserved a remnant. But that's the idea of those broken bones. Not just judgment, but judgment that leaves nothing that consumes completely, utterly, and forever. And so you have in Psalm 34, let's go back to that passage, you have a promise that that won't happen to the righteous. That promise was fulfilled, first of all, in our Savior. Judgments of God for sin came on him. Judgments that you and I can't imagine, will never know. As those who are delivered from those, the only ones who will ever know What those judgments are like are those who will suffer them eternally in hell and who will be consumed by those judgments. To put it in the terms of our text, who will be consumed by those judgments, every bone broken by the wrath of God against sin. But Psalm 34 is a promise that that will not happen to the righteous and did not happen in the case of our Lord Jesus Christ. He suffered the judgment of God, the wrath of God, the horrors of being crucified, but it did not consume him. Brought him down to death, and to the grave, but did not destroy him. You see? That's the gospel. Come back to that in a moment. That's the gospel. Suffering, agonizing, bearing the wrath of God, crying out of the darkness of being forsaken. He was not destroyed by those judgments. And when the soldiers came to him and did not break his legs, then that was the first indication that he had, if I may put it that way, survived those consuming and destroying judgments of God. It's the first echo, maybe you can think of it that way, of what he himself said just before he died.
his finished. In the fact, though he was dead, that his legs were not broken, God says, yes, yes, it is finished. And then too, thinking back to Psalm 34, God says, this, this one, nailed to a cross like a common criminal, dying with two other criminals, mistreated and murdered by his enemies. This is the righteous one of whom I was speaking in Psalm 34. And therefore, he's delivered. Dead, yes. And on his way to his tomb, but delivered nevertheless. And if you're around three days from now, you'll see that too. That because he's the righteous one, there's deliverance for him. Not destroyed, not consumed by my judgments, but all that I required of him is finished. That's what no bone broken means. It's a reference, first of all, to Christ, to the fact. That he is the Son of God. There is no other explanation for it, you know. That he is the Son of God. Suffered, if you will, an eternity in hell. My eternity in hell. In just a few hours there on the cross. And finished it. Forever. And did so not only as the Son of God, but as the one who himself without sin was indeed righteous in the sight of God, and who by taking my sins upon himself and suffering for them earned righteousness and eternal life. not just an incidental detail, is it? Not at all. But the gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. No bone And you and I experience that too. wonderful truth of the fact that he finished 
The judgments of God against sin. And even in dying, died as the one who had triumphed, as the one who had been delivered from those judgments. You and I experience that. If you go back to Psalm 34, and remember what verses 19 and 20 says, you'll see that. It is reference to Christ, first of all, but in him, it's ours as well. Not just his words, but yours and mine. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. How many? Without number, aren't they? Spiritual afflictions, physical afflictions, all the troubles and sorrows, disappointments and discouragements of life, all the losses we suffer, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Why? Because I, by faith, am in that righteous one and share in the deliverance that came to him those last moments of his earthly life and was proved by no bone broken. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. This is what I'm trying to get across to you. That when you suffer, and suffer some of you beyond anything that the rest of us can imagine, there is, in your suffering, none of that breaking of bones. Nothing of the consuming and destroying wrath of God against sin. And none of that. Because Psalm 34, verses 19 and 20, are about him first of all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. The Lord delivereth him out of the law. Proof. Keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Not literally. I've broken an arm. Some of you have broken other bones. Never, never ever a destroying, eternally destroying wrath of God. We feel like it is sometimes. That makes this truth only the more wonderful. It cannot be that. It can't be that because of him. 
What does John say? I'll leave you with that this evening. He that saw it wasn't there most of those six hours, but he saw this. He that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. This is the gospel. No bone broken. And you and I must, must, must believe. It's not enough to live a decent life. It's not enough to be in church twice on the Lord's Day, or but you ought to be there. Don't misunderstand me. Not enough to be a good person and to do good to others. This is written that you might believe, you and I might believe, that there is salvation from sin, the salvation that you and I need in none other but Jesus Christ, our Lord, and in the sacrifice that he offered on the cross. You do believe, don't you? What's the matter whether you're just a child or an adult? Nothing else. on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. John noticed things. Noticed things that I probably wouldn't have noticed nor you. But under the inspiration of the Spirit he noticed in order to strengthen our faith, even bring us faith. In Jesus Christ, the only Savior. So go home believing that he's the righteous one. He was delivered from those judgments, not for himself, but for you. Believe that not a bone of him was broken. That he might be for you and for me forever the proof that he's the only one in which deliverance from God's anger against sin and his fierce judgment can be found. And then you'll be like the person whom the Apostle Paul describes. Remember many are the afflictions of the righteous? 
That's always true. Those who believe in Jesus Christ are like the person whom Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 4. Through faith in Jesus Christ, troubled on every side, yet not distressed, perplexed, not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Amen. Father in heaven, I thank thee for such a Savior. Every detail of his suffering and death, Father, speaks to our hearts. We are thankful, thankful this evening that in his suffering and death, not a bone of him was broken. Forgive the weaknesses that are evident in our speaking of these things, hearing of them. Use them nonetheless. Strengthen our faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And to go home this evening, confessing that that Friday on which he died was indeed the best of all Fridays for us. We ask these things in his name. Altar number 187.